The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Fed Chair Jerome Powell admits the central bank could have acted earlier on interest rates and says he can't guarantee a soft landing as producer prices surge by 11% in April. I have said, and I, I will say again, that um, you know, if you had perfect hindsight, uh, you, you'd go back and it probably would have been better for us to have raised rates a little, a little sooner. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made, but we have to make decisions in real time based on what we know then, and we did the best we could. Now, we are, we, we see the picture clearly, and we're determined to use our tools to get us back to price stability. Asian equities rebound to close out a volatile week after another choppy session on Wall Street puts U.S. stocks on pace for their worst weekly showing since January. Bitcoin regains some ground after plunging to its lowest level in 16 months as the collapse of stablecoins Terra and Tether raises the threat of contagion in the wider crypto market. G7 foreign ministers gather in Germany to reiterate Western support for Ukraine. As the EU's top diplomat Joseph Borrell tells CNBC, the invasion will have widespread ramifications. We have to look at how the war is impacting the global world. This is not the war between the West and the rest, not even the West against Russia, but uh, the whole world is going to be affected. So welcome to the program, everybody. This looks like the mere culpas of all mere culpas. The Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell has admitted the central bank should have hiked interest rates sooner. He also warned that avoiding a recession may depend on factors outside the Federal Reserve's control. Speaking on a podcast, Powell added that bringing inflation down to the target of 2% will cause, quote, some pain. Powell reaffirmed that the central bank is likely to hike interest rates by a half a percentage point at each of its next two meetings in order to tame rising inflation. Powell also acknowledged that things could have gone differently. I have said, and I, I will say again, that um, you know, if you had perfect hindsight, uh, you, you'd go back and it probably would have been better for us to have raised rates a little a little sooner. I'm not sure how much difference it would have made, but we have to make decisions in real time based on what we know then. And we did the best we could. Now we are we, we see the picture clearly and we're determined to use our tools to get us back to price stability. Well, his comments came as the latest inflation print showed factory prices accelerating in April up 11 percent from a year earlier. That marks a decrease from the record 11.5 percent in March. The Alphabet CEO, Sundar Pichai, has told CNBC that while consumers are putting the COVID pandemic in the rearview mirror, the health of the economy is a growing concern for the company and the broader markets. I think it's going to take time to work through. Uh, a lot depends on, I do think people are seeing relief in certain sectors, but then you have other new uh, areas which are showing problems, uh, maybe due to supply chain constraints. We are continuing to invest, but you know we'll obviously 
given the uncertainty, uh, you know, pay, pay close attention to it. And to the extent, you know, as a company, we need to do something differently, like we've always done, uh, you know, we, we, we do this responsibly. Speaking to Juliana, ServiceNow CEO Bill McDermott says he thinks a recession will be avoided and expects that once interest rates are normalized, businesses can hit the accelerator again. It's possible, but I'm, I'm not expecting one um, because I do think that once inflation settles down and it should based upon the rate hikes and rate, the rate hikes can be kind of normalized where we get to um, uh, something that the capital markets can predict. I think that's when business uh, starts to hit the accelerator again and the environment um, sustains itself and we, we uh, miss the recession. That is my hope. Uh, but certainly there are risks out there. You know them, inflation, rising interest rates, the Ukrainian war situation. Um, there's lots of complexity. But in all those cases, the best thing you can do is run your business, digitize your business, take care of your customers and your employees and, you know, stay with the basics. Let's take a look at the market reaction. There's commentary from Jay Powell about the type of landing that we could be in for and just whether it could deliver some pain with it. I think the markets have very much been on the pain page for a number of weeks now. And we've seen that in the extent of the selling, some as justification for the, the changing of positioning for a lot of the big funds at this stage, just lightening up and exposures. Another day of selling for the Dow down for six straight sessions. You can see it was a modest decline, about a third of a percent and a slight dip for the S&P 500. But a little bit of buying uh, coming back into the market for the big tech names and that just saw a slight lean into positive territory but hardly any form of a rally when you look at uh, that small percentage move versus the extent of the losses that we've had on the nasdaq the uh, 25 odd percent move so far this year uh, if you look at the week to date you can see how it's played out it may have felt rough it certainly has been we've been down six plus percent on the nasdaq just this week alone just culminating in high single digit losses for the month of may but of course that contribution to double digit uh, losses uh, a plunge really taking us into bear market territory for 2022 uh, the s p 500 uh, 4.6 7% stripped off and 35 off the Dow. So not immune to smaller losses than the tech sector, but still down heavily for the week. Those big US tech names, as we talk about the moves yesterday, Apple again, one of the stocks to the downside. We saw 5 odd percent stripped off that name a day early, another 2.6% coming off. So again, in a very short space of time, we're seeing large moves to the downside for names that have been very strong players in terms of market leadership in recent years. Microsoft on that page too, shedding another 2%. Patches of green though, as you can see, around Netflix picking up some speed. This is one stock that has been very much a scene setter for earnings season. And as a result, it has seen some destruction the share price but it was a day to the upside 4.7 higher meta going with it and i think their fortunes have seemingly been a little bit linked around performance as we take a look at the fang plus stocks investors have been concerned about that meta trying to sever some of the ties during its own earnings report this time round. but uh, those stocks moving high along with amazon tesla still trading weaker in session the big treasury play let's take another look because investors again had a bunch of data to digest the ppi being the latest on the back of the cpi day earlier and again we are still double digits for over the year 11 percent higher another 0.5 percent for the month on month comparison and you can see the long end of the curve 2.89 markets not exactly changing those expectations about what high rates another 50 basis points back to back for a couple of months would mean for long-term growth we're not straying necessarily 
too far from that 3% mark, but we're not getting above it either. So just worth noting some of that stability, 2.6 on the two year. When it comes to commodities, uh, let's just switch over to WTI and Brent and take a look at uh, this hour to see how we are trading. We saw that, uh, I guess there's been some concerns, dual concerns here, not just around monetary policy, but of course the COVID situation in China and what that will mean. Uh, the crackdown we've seen there, it is uh, still rolling along and we've got a bit of a bounce this morning session. Uh, this morning, uh, Brent 2% higher, almost 1.7 on WTI. We did tick up in trade as well in uh, yesterday's uh, level 1.3 we added on uh, US crude, so we're adding to that position. You can see the levels were just off the 108 on WTI and just off 110 on Brent as a result. And moving on to the Asian markets for the Friday trade after such a, a strong week where we've seen that selling pressure, but we are moving high, as you can see, and there's a strong balance for the Japanese stock market, 660 odd points or 2.5 plus percent, 2.2 on Hong Kong. Again, as we talk about the challenge around technology, some of these markets have suffered more than others. We heard from SoftBank this week in the last 24 hours or so about the lightening up of Chinese tech positions by Masayoshi-san, but that stock contributing as well today to the broader market moves we're seeing in Asia. Hong Kong, two plus percent, and that is outpacing what we're seeing in Australia. And of course, China, they're just half of a percent higher. What's in store for today? We've been asking the question all week whether we will see any bounce back and uh, whether we're done with some of the pain in various sectors that have been very much beaten up. It does look like the morning is uh, one that will unlock a, a rally, particularly, as you can see, right across the board, the Dow's chasing 260-odd points, almost 170-odd on the Nasdaq. So it does look to be a firmer start today as investors try to I guess uh, correct some of that positioning again that we've had earlier in the week but uh, just who's buying Jeff whether it's retail or whether it's institutions is the question. Yeah I think there are a lot of people who are scratching their head this morning just trying to figure out what they should do from here on in because the indication is we are going to get something of a bounce today but do you sell into that bounce or do you dip into that uh, bounce and uh, top up if you've been buying on the dips? Well, let's get to Christina Hooper, Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco. Christina, thank you so much for joining us this morning. As I say, a lot of investors are scratching their head about the price action over recent days and wondering how much more downside there is. What advice are you giving to clients at the moment? Well, first of all, I would say we are closer to the bottom than we are to the top. Um, but there's a very good chance that we do see more losses um, before this stock market sell-off bottoms. And that's really because the market is going through a pretty significant adjustment process. Uh, after nearly 15 years of, of experimental, extraordinarily accommodative monetary policy, the Fed is finally talking tough um, and appears to be very hawkish um, and, and plans a lot of tightening for this year. That has created an enormous amount of anxiety and a re-rating of stocks. So we have to understand that historical context um, and how significant the volatility can be and of course that re-rating process. But um, once that re-rating process occurs, I do believe that stocks will recover, uh, and I do expect uh, that we will actually see solid gains going forward. It's just going to be a painful adjustment period. One of the notes um, in your um, uh, commentary this morning says markets are confused about what the Federal Reserve is intending going forward. Do you think the humility that we heard from Jay Powell in that podcast now 
admitting he feels that they were behind the curve on moving on interest rates. Do you think that now gives us a bit more clarity about his intention to push ahead with 50 basis point hikes for the rest of the year? Well, I I certainly think we can expect a few more 50 basis point hikes in relatively close succession. But beyond that, I actually anticipate the Fed will make another pivot and get a bit more dovish. First of all, we know it needs to be data dependent. So after it does some front loading of rate hikes, I do think it's going to stop and take a look at the data. And I think going to see is that inflation is starting to moderate. Yes, it will it, it will still be high, um, but it will start to moderate. Um, inflation has a funny way of helping to cool demand as real incomes go down. Uh, and I think that the Fed will actually tighten less than the market expects this year, um, which in and of itself should provide a boost to stocks. Christina, so much hubris around the tech sector in recent years from all different quarters. Uh, it was interesting to see in the, the last uh, 24 hours or so, we've had uh, some very interesting news flow in SoftBank going more defensive, uh, talking about being defensive when you're in the startup spaces, a very interesting tone. Uh, Twitter, the hiring freeze, uh, clearly events around Elon Musk, but still uh, a hiring freeze is not something we've spoken about a lot since the last financial crisis. It's sort of a recessionary tactic from a lot of companies and Robin Hood uh, shedding staff. How concerned should we be about some of these uh, perhaps symbolic comments coming through from various quarters of the tech space? Well, this reminds me, it it certainly reminds me somewhat of March of 2000 and really the fallout, um, the the tech bubble bursting, in that we have seen some excess. And, And that's why this past fall we started to see speculative tech Really, to be really be the canary in the coal mine in terms of experiencing price weakness first. Um, but uh, in my opinion, uh, what I think we're going to see is is a smaller uh, version of of what we saw in 2000, 2001 in that um, the the more speculative. Um, parts of the tech space are going to come under pressure. Um, We could see some failures, Um, but um, much of tech will emerge from this stronger. Um, And in fact, you know, if we look historically at the tech sector's performance during Fed rate hike cycles, after initial difficulty, because again, they go through a re-rating process, um, especially so because of higher valuations, Tech stocks have actually held up relatively well historically during those rate hike cycles. Uh, So I I do believe there's a lot of potential uh, in the tech space. We just could go through some some more headwinds before we get there. How do you play the tech sector then? Because... You know, single name exposures have been incredibly difficult in the tech space in particular. I mean, we're talking about selling in some individual names that were popular names of, you know, 50 to plus percent that they are down from some of their 52 week highs. So uh, I don't think you can even hide out in Fang Plus stocks either, given the difference we've seen there in the various players. I mean, Apple stock down 20 percent this year and we were talking about Meta being down 40 percent at one stage. So how do you play the tech space if you do think there's value there? 
Be selective. Be an active manager in the tech space. Um, focus on the companies with strong cash flows, with wider uh, net profit margins. Um, that's really uh, the area of opportunity. Those have been hit hard as well. Um, but uh, I do believe they actually represent buying opportunities. What we often see in sell-offs is a very visceral, very, very emotional reaction. Um, there's not a lot of selectivity and thoughtfulness that goes into these kinds of sell-offs. And that really creates wonderful buying opportunities um, for those who are selective and thoughtful. Christina, just um, to wrap up with you uh, from me, um, we know that uh, this is not a popularity contest running the Federal Reserve. And over the years, Bernanke has been blamed for, for what happened in 2008 for keeping interest rates too low. We, we obviously know Paul Volcker uh, really became very unpopular for pushing up interest rates to 20%. You've got a salutary um, uh, uh, message for us from your own past, I think, when it comes to buying property and taking out a mortgage when interest rates are, are just about to rise or are probably rising. Can you tell us a little bit about that story? Because I think it's very instructive for some of our younger viewers who maybe have never even considered double-digit interest rates. Sure. So back in 1996, my husband and I were newlyweds. We decided to buy a starter home. And so we met with a mortgage, uh, well, a banker um, who, who provided us with a little plastic, um, what he called mortgage calculator. But it was essentially a sliding scale. Uh, and, and what it showed was the amount you'd be paying in your mortgage on a monthly basis um, in interest based on the percentage rate you would get for your mortgage. And of course, this was 1996, and that mortgage calculator was a product of the times. Uh, the scale went from 6% to 20%. Uh, and so I've actually held on to that calculator. I don't have it with me right this minute. It's tucked away in the back of the desk. But, but I've held on to it because it, it was such a vestige of the past and reminded me of history. My parents had a mortgage rate back in 1981 of 13%. Um, and so um, we're living in a very low rate environment. And I suspect when the Fed finishes with its tightening cycle, we'll still be in a very low rate environment relative to history. I think we need to keep that in mind. I know there, there we've certainly had a bit of whiplash seeing mortgage rates go up about 200 basis points. Um, but um, when we take a step back and look, it's still um, a relatively good environment uh, for borrowing. And yet, Christina, we, we've got record household debt here. People just seem to be uh, spending like it's going out of fashion on their plastic here. Do you think 3% may just feel like 20% because we have so much more debt now? For sure. Um, so, so for those who have been lucky enough to lock in, um, that, that's wonderful. For those who have fixed rates, um, that's wonderful. And, and luckily, we don't have the kind of mortgage products we had prior to the global financial crisis, um, where there was a resetting that went on after a few years and, and many couldn't afford their mortgages. Um, so that's certainly the good news. Um, but for those with variable rates, um, for those who are still out there buying, even though rates are, are a lot higher, um, it's going to feel uh, a lot less affordable. And I would say it's not just consumers. It's That's true for governments as well. As rates go up, 
uh, their costs of borrowing increase as well. Uh, and we know that can actually exert pressure on economies too. Christina, it's been a real pleasure catching up and thanks for sharing the anecdote with us. Uh, Christina Hooper, Chief Global Market Strategist at Invesco. Uh, still to come on the program this morning, cryptocurrency Luna plunges to less than 1%, sending shockwaves through the crypto market, already reeling from recent volatility. We'll have more on that story when we come back. And for more on Fed Chair Jerome Powell's comments on what the central bank could have done differently, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Bitcoin has staged a comeback after briefly falling below $26,000 in Thursday's trade. This after controversial stablecoin Terra US dollar sank sharply below its dollar peg to less than 20 cents that uh, sent crypto markets into turmoil. Let's get to Arjun for more. Arjun, we have a stablecoin here that seems to be unstable and that has spooked the markets. That's right, the stable, stablecoin destabilized. And I want to dig into exactly what a stablecoin is and where exactly Terra USD falls into it and why it's been so controversial. Let's just kick off about what is a stablecoin. Effectively, these are cryptocurrencies that are pegged one to one with the US dollar. The idea is that they're worth one dollar, hence the name uh, stablecoin as well. Now, people use these stablecoins to trade in and out of other cryptos because they find it easier than sort of uploading fiat to their uh, trading account and doing it that way as well. Two of the main ones here, two of the biggest, Tether and USDC as well. Now these are coins that are uh, backed by real world assets according to their founders. This includes things like cash and bonds and that's a very key point because I now want to move on to Terra USD and its sister token Luna as well because Terra USD or UST as it's also known is called a algorithmic stablecoin. This means effectively it's one dollar peg is regulated by code through a process of minting and burning uh, and these two are related here. So users can swap their Luna token for UST and be guaranteed at one dollar. So when UST uh, rises above a dollar you see people trying to play that arbitrage to swap their Luna token for a uh, dollar um, of UST. UST as well and that helps uh, basically to bring down uh, the price of the UST back to its peg that's because one of the Luna tokens is burned as a result and a new UST is minted therefore uh, bringing higher supply onto the market as well but what happens in times of market volatility as we're seeing now let's just look at what's happened to this stablecoin price the Terra USD price look at that absolutely extraordinary dropped to just 12 cents here way off its one dollar peg as well um, and that's because it's not backed by reserves it's very difficult to bring it back to the one dollar peg as well particularly because it's governed by an algorithm and as a result the sister uh, token Luna 
has had an absolutely massive crash. It's basically worth zero now. Uh, look at that. That is extraordinary. It's gone from about $86 a week ago down to basically zero. So the question is, what does this mean effectively for the broader crypto markets and in particular Bitcoin? Let's take a look at the Bitcoin price because over the past week it's down about 16%. Uh, it staged a bit of a relief rally uh, today, but it did hit late 2020 levels as well. Now, the founders behind Terra USD have actually bought about 3.5 billion worth of Bitcoin. That was before the meltdown, anyway, of reserves to back this. That has never been done. Those other uh, uh, stable coins have been backed by more traditional uh, assets as well. And clearly, it's not working here. And the fear is that the founders of TerraUSD will dump all this Bitcoin in order to try to maintain this peg. Uh, and therefore, that could bring the Bitcoin price down. Now, Do Kwon, the founder behind uh, TerraUSD, has said that the plan now is to try to absorb that UST supply. That would involve uh, burning UST uh, to reduce supply and minting new lunar coins. That will happen by a technical upgrade. So that's going to be very hard to enact at this point. And he admitted it will be a high cost to Luna and uh, USD holders. And that's one of the reasons why regulators right now are laser focused on regulating stablecoin. People like uh, Janet Yellen in the US and uh, Rishi Sunak here are talking about how to regulate stablecoins. And that's clearly going to be a big focus for the market in the coming months, guys. Arjun, can we talk about who's losing money? Because we were just having a conversation before about dot com, uh, what we saw in the boom and bust back then. And elements of this market volatility reminds us of that tech bubble that burst. If you look at uh, Coinbase founder Brian Armstrong, what he had 13.7 billion at the heights, now down to about 2.2 billion. It's quite a significant change in fortune, still high. But if we just peel away from the billionaires, who's losing money on crypto at this stage? A lot of retail investors, Karen. I think there's a lot of retail investors who, who have bought into the crypto hype. I'll just give you a little anecdote. I was at uh, uh, sort of um, meeting some friends the other day, uh, and one of them was like, uh, talking about all the cryptos he's buying. And, and one of the questions I asked him, I was like, do you know what this token does? Or do you know what the project is about? He's like, no, I saw it going up and loads of people talking about it. So I ended up buying it. And that, I think, is a mentality we are seeing amongst a lot of retail investors at the moment. They're seeing a lot of coins. I remember this as well when Bitcoin hit its last all-time high, sort of 2017. We saw that same mentality again to people I was talking to, regular traders who have never traded before, but have saw a huge price rises in things like Ripple and Ethereum and all these coins. I'd ask, do you know what they do? And they'd be like, no, but they are going up. And I think that's a huge portion of the market losing money here. One of the interesting things with Luna is they're trying to all rush out at this point. Binance, one of the biggest crypto exchanges, actually paused withdrawals of Luna as well because people were rushing for the door. So I think that's where a lot of the money is being lost at this point, Garen. Well, there have been some concerns about the destabilizing effect potentially of crypto if there happened to be a sell-off. And here we are. And where that impacts society in terms of whether it's millennials, or some of the younger populations that have been looking to, to make savings and get on to the, the ladder when it comes to assets. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.